Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. How do we grow from here? I've learned anything from this podcast so far and from James Earl Jones and Field of Dreams. It's that this industry, like America, is always evolving. You know, I really love that line in Field of Dreams. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been a race, a blackboard rebuilt and erased again. And as Mark Tiburgeon taught us on an earlier episode, the wealth management industry has evolved the same way, from big, massive, giant firms to a landscape of independent advice. But what's ahead? What does the future look like? And today, as we look back and look ahead, we are joined by a leader, really empowering advisors. Welcome back to Perfectly Integrated. I'm Matt Ackerman, the Chief Content Officer at Integrated Partners. And today, I'm joined by Fidelity's David Cantor. My favorite story about David was probably from the first time that he and I met. I don't know if he even remembers this. We're at a conference together in Arizona. And um, uh, I was set to interview David. And my crew's all ready. We're all lined up. And we're waiting and we're waiting. A really kind woman came rushing out and explained, I'm sorry, David's going to be late. He's sound checking his guitar. I thought I really did. I thought she made a mistake, but I was sure that maybe, you know, it was a mistake. He came, we did a really lovely interview. And then I'm there at the cocktail reception later that night. And up there on the stage playing guitar was this multi-talented Renaissance man, David Cantor. David, welcome. Matt, thank you. Thank you for the intro. It's great to be here. It's, it's great to be part of this uh, podcast with you. And congratulations on all the success. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. So give me an analogy here. How is playing the guitar kind of like wealth management? Well, it, it's actually an interesting analogy to what you just laid out. It's how do you be a virtuoso, an individual contributor, but how do you function as part of a team? And it's part of that accordion of life, if you will, that evolution. We've seen this in the wealth management space. Being part of a band is, is just that. You have to be able to work and excel with one another. That's exactly it. And, you know, you're this renaissance man who can be playing guitar on one hand, helping so kindly empower advisors. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed kind of just the positivity you bring to these experiences. I've loved your Coffee with Cantor series, especially in this pandemic. I've been a huge fan of you and your guests like Lizetta Rainey Braxton and Cheryl Penny. You know, what inspired that series kind of in the midst of this pandemic? Well, let me be appropriately humble here. I don't know if I would use the words renaissance person, but I, I appreciate the compliment. We certainly try. In terms of Coffee Break with Cantor, thanks for tuning in. You, my wife, my kids, and my mom are in good company, so I'm glad that you found some enjoyment out of it. We wanted a way, Matt, to connect with folks in the ecosystem, particularly during this pandemic environment, but more broadly, and, and that chose to be a great venue. I want to thank our executive producer, Megan Griffin. She really was the brainchild behind it. And I'm, I guess, the the on-camera facilitator. So what's the smartest thing you learned from your guests in that series? I'm always learning. There's been so many great tips. The thing that I found, I guess, mo- most poignant, I interviewed Anders Jones, who founded a firm called Facet Wealth that was born virtually. And we've all had to work from home during this environment. And they had to find a way to create culture in a pure virtual environment. So they had this program called the Random Lunch Generator, which, by the way, I think is a great name for my next band. 
I like lunch. I like generating things. But how do you get people together to create sort of that organic culture? And I, I, I took that away very, um, it was poignant to me. But there have been so many great pieces of advice. Uh, maybe we'll have to get Megan Griffin and we'll have to find a way to, to learn or to write down all the great things we learned from Coffee Break with Cantor. Absolutely. I always am trying to like learn stuff. I, I, I find it's a lifetime of learning that we're all kind of embedded in here. And, you know, even in, in this kind of crazy year, I, I want to make sure there's something we're learning from all this. In hindsight, what we're taking away from this. Mark, the version we had on the last episode, was talking about how we're learning a lot about empathy in this year. What, what's kind of your big takeaway? What's your lesson from um, the year that was, that is 2020? Yeah, 2020 certainly has quit on us and quit on us early. I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that stability is the new disruptor. So in the past, there have been new technologies, there have been new offerings that have disrupted us. But this year, I think we can place a lot of comfort and actually place a lot of mindshare around stability. So where can you find stability? The other thing more personal is really valuing things that are close to home. So whether it's your family, your friends, I think this year has taught us that you have to prioritize what really matters. Stability is the new disruptor is, is, is genius. I think about it from that wealth manager, from the advisor perspective too, as they can become kind of that stabilizing force for so many right now. And that's so that's so important from watching your series. I, I really thought that Cheryl Penny put it best. This time is an advisor Super Bowl. I was talking about Mark earlier too. He said advisors need to learn how they can bottle what they're doing now and use it in the future. How can advisors do that? How can they take this moment, this Super Bowl of theirs, and really take what they've learned and bring it forward so that themselves, their clients, and this industry gets better? Well, this is the time to really rise up the value stack in your clients' lives, helping them navigate what matters. And Cheryl said it nicely. This is the Super Bowl. This is the year of lean on me. And the advisor is that person to lean on. Having said that, and I I do believe that stability is the new disruptor, there's a lot going on, Matt, (laughs) Uh, and a lot that we can dive into. It's been the year of merger mania, whether it's in the true wealth manager space or around the ecosystem that, that they play in. That's a great point. Merger mania. So we sit here in this year of merger mania and this year where independent advice is kind of consolidating as well. What do you think uh, as you think about this year of merger mania? What have we learned and, and what does it mean as we go forward? I, I, it's interesting because I think it goes back to where you started. This is an industry of artisans, of trades folks, of, of craft craftspeople, where the deliverable is this bespoke service to clients. But at the same time, the industry consolidates. So where we're focused is around these, what we call the four Ps personalization. How can you deliver a more personalized offering? That may result in the second P being portfolio construction. Private markets is another area that we think is is still an area of under-indexing. Looking at some of the products and the purveyors out there, that's where we think that the future is going for advisors, but at the same time, you know, focusing on the client. 
those four P's make so much sense, but it all starts with that nucleus, that hub, that is the client, the client relationship, and ultimately producing a relationship that feels very customized, but at the same time allows you to serve more people and more clients. It's exactly right. One of the interesting things about this profession is no one has really cracked the code on advisor capacity and creating scalability and efficiency. And I think that's one of the interesting things that is the push and pull here. And I think that's something we're looking forward to seeing how it evolves as we as, as the future unfolds. You must get that question all the time. How do I scale my business and still be customized? How do I scale my business and still be personalized? To go back to your piece. So what's the answer there? What do you say to advisors that want to be able to serve more clients, but at the same time, not straying from that personal level of service that they've kind of built their business on? Well, some of this is is almost going back to basics, and some of this may be a little bit of a reach. But to the extent that, to your point, advisors can spend as much time as possible with clients and traveling, as we say, up the value stack, beyond the rudiments, if you will, of the advice proposition, the investment planning, the investment advice, the tax planning, but getting to what really matters in a, a, a person or a family's life goals. To the extent that you can establish at your firms, whether it's a small practitioner or something that is much more substantial in size, centers of excellence around technology, around investments, investment process, around the marketing and lead generation and lead fulfillment, around compliance. That's, I think, something that advisory firms of all shapes and, and, and sizes can aspire to and keep, keep growing and developing toward. Now, we've got that growth and development. We've got the four Ps. We've got kind of building on this foundation of 2020. What's ahead? We take all these lessons, we bottle them up. What do you expect from kind of 2021 and beyond so that we can at least make progress from here? I'm not talking about perfection. I just want a little progress. Ah, progress versus perfection. That actually is one of my catchphrases. So nice, nice. nice tie in there. I love that because perfection is so difficult, but you can always make progress. As I look forward, I think that there are probably five things that we're going to see going forward. I, I, this merger mania is not going to stop anytime soon. In fact, we believe it may keep pace and in fact, accelerate. Number two, the amount of choice and ecosystem options out there in the advisory and wealth management spectrum is going to continue to expand. And I, I analogize it to the, to the gold rush. You can make money panning for gold, but there are going to be a lot of folks that are willing to sell you shovels and picks that are really vital to this place. And then three through five, pay attention to the evolving needs of the client, pay attention to the evolving needs of the advisors themselves. And finally, technology is just so important. And there are very many aspects to that, to that piece of the puzzle. So I'm going to unpack a couple of those. One I want to talk about, I want to, we talked about merger mania a little bit. And I think a lot of advisors, folks listening to this, may dismiss the merger mania. They'll say, hey, that's just those mega mergers over here. That's just the, the Schwabs and TDs of the world coming together. Okay, that's over there. But I want to talk about for the, from the advisor level. Should they be thinking about mergers? Is there a level where they need to be kind of looking around next to them and, and merging with other advisory firms so they can make a meaningful revenue figure? When you talk about mergers, what are we talking about here? 
I think it's all of the above. Okay. It's from the bigger, the mega firm mergers, whether it's a Schwab TD, a Morgan Stanley E-Trade, a Morgan Stanley Eaton Vance, to we've seen almost 160 merger transactions just in the RAA space this year. And we're not done yet. We got a little bit of runway ahead of us. Two, we've seen record movement of just individual advisors, individual human beings moving from one platform to another. It can be answered in many dimensions, but that's what I—that's how I think about it. And and to answer your question, how should you know the individual firms be thinking about it? My wife has an interesting saying: If you don't know where you're going, you might end end up someplace else. Love it, I love it. I I, I look at the two, and and we have an aging advisor population at the same time too. Many have done the right thing and started to think about succession, so they're merging and and hiring young advisors, and I think. We could see, as we look ahead, um, a real changeover here in terms of what an advisor looks like, too, uh, in terms of both, and I say that intentionally, what an advisor looks like, because I think we're going to get younger. We're also going to get more diverse. And and I, I really hope that this industry is moving in a really interesting direction here. For years, advisors, we've talked about it, you and I and others that have not focused probably adequately on succession planning, but also training. But what I see as the hidden issue here is even if you have a succession plan, there's no metaphysical guarantee that your G2 or G3 is going to be able to operate efficiently these firms and grow these firms. Only time will tell there. But what is not talked about is there's no metaphysical certainty that G2 and G3 are going to be able to operate and grow these firms like the founders did. Now, you're someone that's always empowering that next gen of advisors. It's something that I've seen. We And one of the early interviews we did was at an investment news event talking about like the future of this industry and where it's going. But I think the thing is, is there's so much intelligence in the next generation. When I look at the millennial advisor, they're different. They're exciting. They're engaged in a very different way. What, what can we learn from that, from tomorrow's advisors? What, what, what do tomorrow's advisors expect of this industry and how are they going to make this industry better tomorrow? They're, they're going to do a lot. They're going to help us with technology. They're going to help us with scale. I think that the, this generation born digital is probably better equipped than the, the, the current operators and founders in many respects. But the key challenge that they're going to need to focus on and probably over-index to is how do you grow? Because a growing firm is is one that is going to sustain. And if you're not growing, by definition, you're deteriorating. I hate to put it so starkly. So growth is the imperative. Growth is the imperative. And that's how we started this whole conversation is how do you grow from here? And the truth is that they have interesting ideas about marketing, about content, something that I'm very passionate about, things like social media. It's so exciting to see how you guys, even with coffee with Cantor, how you leverage LinkedIn and other platforms to really to grow it. You you see the power of how social media can can be a real engine going forward. We do. And we've also spent a lot of time during this period, but it's going to sustain around how do you more effectively digitally engage with both clients and prospects? What are some of the innovative ways to do that? And I do think that's a practice management area that we're all going to need to focus on. You know this well, Matt. This podcast that you've created is is a, is a perfect example of that. 
growth is the imperative. So you have to go back to the questions I always ask, the five corners, if you will, I've added in a fifth of what makes a successful advisory firm. We can go through them, but please, the, mo- the most important one is what is your unfair advantage? What is that thing that makes you basically bulletproof in the marketplace? I love that. What is your unfair advantage? I'm jotting that one down because I think that's something that everyone has. Everyone has an edge and whatever it may be, maybe it's uh Maybe it's like you with your positivity that you bring to this and, and the way you converse with advisors. When you think about what is your unfair advantage, I, I would love to know what you think your unfair advantage is, David. So I think that everyone, everyone being an individual and every firm can have multiple unfair advantages. The one that we like to talk about at, at our firm is the fact that as a privately and employee-owned company, we can be entrepreneurial in ways that others can't, whether that's in the fashion of using countercyclical investment and in technology, but it all boils down to having strong, broad market wisdom. So being able to consult directly with our clients and prospects to help empower them to, among other things, discover their unfair advantage. I love it. No, I really do. I love that. Now, I'm going to be asking a lot of folks now what, what their unfair advantage is. We talked about next gen. Another issue that you and I have spoken on the, in the past is, is around diversity, around empowering uh, both amazing women advisors, but also diverse advisors. I think as we look back to 2020 and ahead to 2021 and beyond, diversity is going to be something that we hopefully continue to pay attention to. Why are these such essential groups to continue to empower? both for you and for this industry? The industry has to look a lot more like who the clients and consumers are. It's astounding that we sit here 2020, 2021, and 86% of the profession is male. Only 5% is African-American. We have to look more like our clients. And so it's been an initiative for our firm. It's been an initiative for many of our our clients. We have many efforts at to, to attack this issue and dating back several years, but we are led by a multi-disciplinary approach. We have our chief diversity and inclusion officer, Wendy John, who uh, has a whole program that she leads both spiritually, which is important, but also programmatically. And it has to be something that sustains. It can't be something that is the the flavor of the moment, if you will. I know a lot of firms that have reached out to us that are doing uh, diversity and inclusion audits. You can't just start with, just like financial planning, you have to do a diagnosis and discovery before you can actually create a plan and march against it. So I'm very heartened to see that this is the tune that a lot of advisors are taking with it, if you will. Yeah, I I agree. the distinct pleasure of being on the committee at Investment News around diversity and inclusion. Something that I learned was that actions speak louder than words. Important, like you said, to conduct that uh, diagnosis and discovery. It's also important to take action and to move the ball down the field a little bit too. It was something when I came in and integrated, it's something we talked about and they were passionate about us following through on. I'm, I think actions are going to speak louder than words on the diversity issue. Our clients, our prospects, and our associates, importantly, all, all are looking for that. We're energized. Yeah, I'm energized as well. It's, it's, it's been a tough year, 2020. I think everybody wants to get beyond it. Turning the page of the calendar doesn't mean that much. We've got so many advisors 
independent advisors that have kind of really struggled through a tough year. They've seen their clients struggle. You know, they've seen a lot of unfortunate things happen in a rough year. They want to focus on the silver linings. There's a lot of positive people, I believe. What's your advice? What are the silver linings and how do we move forward so we can find more silver linings? Maybe this is a little cliche, but I've been saying this for several months now. And as a matter of fact, I'll I'll come back to another piece of this, but the pandemic of 1918 led to the roaring 20s. So there are bright days ahead. There are bright days and brighter days ahead. I think that it's always good to focus on the known unknowns and then the unknown unknowns. Would there be a pandemic? Would the pandemic shut us down in 2020? That wasn't something I was looking at in, in 2019. So I would call that an unknown unknown. A known unknown was what's going to happen with the election. We know there's going to be an election. We just don't know what the, the outcomes are going to be at the state, local, or federal level. I think it always behooves us to think about those things. Let's control we can control, you know, to see what happens from there. And going back to the point you made at the beginning, focus on things like family and friends. And that's the positive I bring about from all this is I did get to spend a lot more time here at home as you did. We're both folks that travel a lot, end up at a lot of industry conferences. And it's been kind of nice a little bit to hang out with my, my my two sons and hang out at home a little more. So that's my positive. That's my silver lining of all this. I have many silver linings. One was my daughter who is off to college next year. She's 18. We started running together and we ran the virtual Boston Marathon together. So wow. that was quite a quite an event that may not have happened, but for these unique circumstances. I love it. I love it. Well, David, we end each episode with a question from my nine-year-old son, CJ. CJ's smarter than me already, but usually I just give him a little info about my guest. I, you know, I told him you're you're someone that helps empower people. I told him that you're you're also a, a great guitarist. And he stopped me right there and he, he skeptically said, Oh yeah, let's see him play guitar. I said, Okay, we'll we'll see. So David, my nine-year-old son has asked, Will you play some guitar? And he's someone that's trying the saxophone now. He would love to know how long does it take to get really good at a musical instrument. Well, CJ, it's it's nice to get a chance to say something to you. I've heard great things about you. If you think age nine's great, wait till age 10. It only gets better from here, my friend. How long does it take to become good at something? I think that varies for everyone. For me with guitar, it's probably taken a lifetime, but who knows, with you and saxophone, you're gonna be awesome age, age nine, 10 and throughout. So in your honor, CJ, I'm going to start by playing a C chord. And maybe I'll just do a few bars of a song that I wrote, Matt. Most of the songs I play are all original, but made famous by other artists, meaning they're covers. But I'll just play a little something I wrote, and then I'll come back to you. Here's a little ditty. There are actually lyrics to go with us, but Matt, I'm not going to sing for you today. <laughs> next time. Next time you'll send me the lyrics. I can try singing. I, I, I love the advice on, on playing an instrument. I was someone who's just basically spent his life playing the radio. That's one of my grandmother's favorite jokes. So, uh, David, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for everything, everything you do. And it's always a pleasure getting to catch up with you. Thank you so much, my friend. Well, Matt, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the kind words. I'll end with PMA, positive mental attitude, my friend. PMA, best of luck with this great show you've you've put together. 
Thank you so much, buddy. Talk soon. Wow, that was something. Thank you so much, David Cantor. Thank you for bringing your musical talents to this. I'm joined now by Paul Sagany for our little and code a bit. I always love talking to you, Paul, after I get to interview folks like David Cantor. You have any secret talents, musical talents that we don't know about, Paul? <laughs> well, first, Dave's amazing, by the way. So I got a chance to see Dave and his band at a meeting pre-COVID last year. But yes, drumming, Matt. I was a drummer my whole life. Love to play the drums. That's my big passion. That's amazing. I play the radio. I can uh, turn on all the stations. So I got that going for me. No, I, I actually sang the school choir growing up too. So I was a, a tenor in the school choir and I was in all the musicals. What people don't know about me is I played Georg von Trapp in uh, Sound of Music when I was a senior <laughs> in high school. You've got that great voice. I can see that. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> we'll climb every mountain and sing Edelweiss at some point together. One <laughs> of the themes that David just spoke on that really stood out to me was something Fidelity does a very good job of, which is empowering its advisors, empowering next-gen advisors, empowering women, diverse advisors. What do you think about that theme of empowering advisors? And I know it's something that we try every day to do here at Integrated. I would say David and his team and even Fidelity as a company are all about empowerment. You know, at the end of the day, Matt, the advisory world is filled with entrepreneurs, people that have an entrepreneurial spirit. Entrepreneurs want to be empowered they all have dreams. They've got wonderful things they want to accomplish with their practice. It's, it is all about empowerment, isn't it? Support, empower, get out of their way at times. But it's respecting the entrepreneurial nature of the advisor. And that's what Fidelity is so good at doing. They're wonderful at that. When I think about empowering advisors here at Integrated, I think about it's more than just kind of offering services that lift them up. It's, it's mm -hmm. teaching them to fish rather than just giving them a fish. And it's it's been amazing. Even just this past week, Paul, as we've talked to some of our advisors, they're coming to me now and saying, hey, I love what you did. Tell me with this content piece. I'm thinking about how my staff can get better at writing. And I, 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 that was such an empowering conversation for me to see how they're seeing the value of content and how ultimately it can help them lift up because I expected I would have to fight a lot more and I'm just seeing incredible things now. But you know, think about it, Matt, since I have known you, you are all about empowering advisors and you are so good at, at not only empowering, but pulling out from them their, their thought leadership ideas. And you're the best at that. That's certainly what you've made a, a great career at doing. It's so much fun when you see the light bulb moments and it's something I know Paul and I, you have, you, we had the pleasure to chat about earlier this week too, is those light bulb moments when you when someone says something and it just, it awakens you. So you figure it out yourself and mm -hmm. it's not necessarily you telling somebody what to do, but they've figured it out themselves. That's, that's always amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, kind of like working with children, isn't it? They're the same way. Maybe we are children at heart, but mm -hmm. you know, that's how you help children develop and become leaders themselves. Well, I work on that every day with my boys here and I hope we all get a chance to continue to empower amazing people. Paul, thank you so much. As always, amazing insights. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. For integrated partners, for perfectly integrated, I'm Matt Ackerman. He's Paul Sagany. Thanks so much. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial.
David Cantor of Fidelity Investments is a separate entity and not affiliated with Integrated Partners and LPL Financial.